1: Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence, Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen recovering from Turkey Day, Thanksgiving, the last uh, Thursday in November here in the United States where to show how grateful we are for everything that we have, we inhale massive amounts of calories and <laughs> lay around and watch football and do everything that, that I think uh, you know the rest of the world perceives America to be all about, Eat football and eating, I mean it's a lot of it I guess, right?
2: That is one of those interesting holidays we have that we do enjoy. You can eat as much as you want to break the, what, 20,000-calorie barrier in one day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if that's even possible, now that they're deep-fat frying these turkeys. And <laughs> it's uh, one of my favorite. Yeah, you relax, you hang out with family, you eat fatty foods, you watch a little American football. And you have to wear sweats because you probably expanded a couple of belt sizes. But yeah. other than that, it's... It's good stuff. My favorite part is the turkey sandwiches you know after that. the fact. That's one of the best things. We've got our food in, and uh, with a lot of leftover food, I don't know how'd you guys do? I did good. Did
1: good. Smoked the turkey this year,
2: mm. which is,
1: you know, always makes it good. And the way you cook it, you know, you brine it and you cook it upside down. It, you know, does pretty good. I've long maintained that, you know, prime rib should be what we eat at Thanksgiving, but nobody <laughs> listens to me. So we had turkey and. <laughs> Did the whole thing and just lazy food coma and now we're working it off, right?
2: Yeah, back to reality. Got to work it off.
1: Yeah, and next week we'll actually do some more uh, stuff on Black Friday. Uh, we got to mm. get into that because we always talk about that every single year and all the mayhem that it creates and does it really work? And yeah, it does because you know we're talking about it every single year. But stay tuned for that, everybody. In the meantime, you know we've got a geeky article coming up in just a minute. We have a great guest interview with Matt Powell coming up in just a minute. Before we do that, we always want to remind you, shameless plug, go to universitypersuasion.com where you can get more information on becoming a great persuader for less than a cost of a Honda Civic. There you go.
2: And it's free. Yeah. If you want access to the archives of the podcast and other information, there's some free memberships available there too. Get in there, learn how to persuade, and increase your income.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's free, which... We're not joking. That's less than the cost of a Honda Civic. That,
2: that would be less. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You can't say we were
1: being you know, dishonest about that. Tell the truth here <laughs> on the program. That's right. Okay, excellent. So we're going to go ahead and cut to the geeky article moment. I'm going to spell you today, Kurt, but I need you to hit the Urkel.
2: Okay, Urkel go.
1: Urkel go. So every now and then we need to give Kurt a break from mm-hmm. reading the... Uh, Kazakhstan Plumber Union HR Journal, or whatever random magazine he's gonna read in. I tried to think of the weirdest thing I could.
2: Uh, that, that would be th- weird, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know what? When I think of the most weird thing I can, it, I don't think it's quite as weird as the real stuff that you up with.
2: <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah, I
1: don't. I mean, I don't know where you get this. I mean, it's just—is it sitting on the toilet tank? Where do you keep these things? <laughs>
2: Everybody gets them. They just come in the mail, right?
1: They <laughs> just show up in the mail. Okay. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, good. I'm glad we cleared that up. So this is from Harvard Business Review, and this is the 13 signs that someone is about to quit, according to research. And the story is careful to point out that this could involve them quitting romantically or professionally. right? So you've got a, a partner, spouse, a work associate, a subordinate, a boss, you know, here's what to, you kind of tell hey, you know what, this person's probably not going to be around much longer. You ready? We'll rattle off a few and then we'll link to the article uh, to give the listeners that Zagarnik effect. They're going to have to go to the website to see the rest of this.
2: All right, let's do it.
1: Okay, I'm making a cheesy drum roll on my desk. Number one, their work productivity has decreased more than usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. That sounds right. It passes a smell test. Number two, they have acted less like a team player than usual. Right. Okay. Hey, I quit once and now definitely was not a team player. So. Number three, they've been doing the minimum amount of work more frequently than usual. Number four, they've been less interested in pleasing their manager than usual. They've been less willing to commit to long-term timelines than usual. They have exhibited a negative change in attitude. They've exhibited less work motivation and effort. And they've exhibited less focus on job-related matters than usual. And finally, I'll give you the last one. There's a few more. They've expressed dissatisfaction with their current job more frequently mm. than usual. Uh, none of those are a surprise to me. Sounds like somebody who wants to quit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, they forgot one. Which but is I what? I have got a couple of them. They, they keep wanting to bring you your coffee. doing strange things to your coffee and or exposing the middle finger too often might be another sign that uh, (laughs) yes they are looking they've checked out mentally and do not want to be there anymore
1: that's exactly right i remember in college i i was waiting tables at a restaurant and this place was an awful place to work you know cheap menu we get little old ladies coming in there ordering the lunch special for three dollars and 99 cents And they would tip us 15%. (laughs) Thanks for that. So I had this big trip to the Caribbean planned with my friends. We had it planned for like a year. Tickets purchased and everything, you know. And when you're in college, you can't afford a cancellation fee with the airline. I mean, that's going to bankrupt you. (laughs) You don't have that (laughs) money. This is true. Yeah. And they announced that the local university was going to have some big week-long seminar where a bunch of people coming in from all over the country, you know which one I'm talking about, that it was all hands on deck at the restaurant that week. Nobody was going to get time off. Everybody needed to work, right? I was like totally ready to quit this job anyway. I totally hated it. And I went up to the manager and said, hey, uh, I got to have that week off. Don't you know how to listen? We just said nobody gets it off. (laughs) And I said, these, these words actually came out of my mouth. I said, don't you know how to listen? I told you four weeks ago that I needed this off, and that hasn't changed. I'm going on this trip. Well, you can't have it off. And I said, I quit. Okay, hey, well, hell, let's talk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how much the job meant to be. And I had definitely been exhibiting all these signs of not caring, negative attitude. I didn't care. I'll go to the Caribbean for a week and deal. You know, there's plenty of crappy jobs around. You know, you're not the only game in town, buddy. So that's what this <laughs> reminds me of.
2: Yeah, I think we've all <laughs> been there, wanting to quit, getting out. I, I like the ones where they just talked about the the long term one. They don't want to do the. The thing that's due in two weeks or whatever it is because they know they're out of there. Yeah, that's probably
1: the biggest one out of that list, isn't it?
2: Maybe that's your test. They're like, all right, we've got a project due in three months and just kind of look around the room. (laughs) See who's going to do it or not.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, that's the geeky article moment for the day. Kurt has the week off. I'm sure he's loving that. We are going to cut now to our interview with Matt Powell and talk about how our brains are wired. Let's go to the interview now.
2: We'd like to welcome Matt Powell to the show today. Best known for his work with martial art through PROMEC, Matt Powell has written four books on the learning and psychology, built an international martial arts organization, filming hundreds of instructional videos and personally teaching thousands around the world, all while working his way up the corporate ladder. Matt has experienced a variety of successes and failures in his quest to create a better life for himself and those around him. Matt now focuses on his time on personal growth and successful living topics through his new project, Pastless.net. Using his experience teaching around the world to create innovative methods that anyone can use to further their life, like his new book, Undo, How to Undo the Past and Plan Your Future. Welcome, Matt. How are you today, Kurt? You doing okay? Yay, hey, feeling good. Hope you're doing well. We're excited to have you on the show. I know our listeners are excited as we... Usually focus on influence and persuasion, but your topic is very timely because it's self-persuasion, personal growth, and our listeners know to kick it off, just a quick thing is you have to tell us, as you look around the world and you've been around the world, what is the worst vegetable on the planet?
0: The worst vegetable, well, I guess anchovies do not count as the worst vegetable (laughs) on the planet. Mine would actually be cranberries. I love vegetables, but every Thanksgiving, they break out the cranberry sauce, (laughs) and it just turns me off to everything that is not meat
2: at the table. (laughs) You can see cranberries. Is it just that paste? Do you like cranberry juice or the cranberry itself, or is it anything cranberry? I, I think it's anything cranberry. When I was a kid,
0: my brothers loved the cranberry sauce, so my mom would always say, oh, you always loved cranberry sauce. I said, no, Mom, I don't want to eat that. And so now it's done with. Anything at the table, when that lands, if it's not meat, I just can't do it. It's strange. <laughs> All
2: right, good point. All right. So now that you know it's cranberry, I think that's the first for the show. But, hey, we'll take cranberries. <laughs> I can understand that one. And, of course, on the show we feature Homer Simpson, which – Features are blunder. Don't, don't, don't. So as you look at the world of personal growth, personal development, I know there's a lot of people out there claiming to be experts in different things, and I know you've talked to a lot of people and coached a lot of people. What do you feel is the biggest blunder maybe that you've made or that other people make in the world of personal growth? Um, I think nowadays,
0: because when you talk about personal growth, you know, no man is an island unto himself. That, you know, you have to look at interpersonal relationships to make sure that the people around you are positive and they're contributing to your success. And I think echoing is the worst thing that I'm seeing right now, whether it's people trying to better their lives or whether it's in the the corporate boardroom is echoing because people have just been drilled to echo, echo, echo.
2: What do you mean by echo as far as mirroring and copying other people, benchmarking? Is that what you mean by echoing? Yeah, just saying to your point.
0: Okay. And somebody says something, you repeat it back to them. And what I've found is, is that it becomes an echo chamber. I've been in a lot of meetings where there's so much to your point that nobody ever gets past that point. It's like, I accept your point. Let me tell you that I accepted your point and let me get past that. That it ends up in this big echo chamber going back and forth and going back and forth. So what I usually tell people is, is you, I understand why you're doing that, but where it becomes big danger is, is that now I, I see it people in their personal lives and kind of everywhere. Everybody's echoing each other and accepting what somebody has said and then moving past it. And sometimes it just does not work the way people plan, especially when people are you know new into an industry and they can end up in an echo chamber real quick.
2: I like that. Good feedback. So. Let me ask you another question here, and I'm looking at my bookshelf here. I've got over 100 personal Nightingale Conant tapes and all these books on personal development. <laughs> I know that's a big industry out there. And so let me ask you I, th- I think I know the answer, but I want to get your feedback on this one. Why do most personal growth methods fail, right? And how do we get the most out of these programs? Because there's a lot of programs. There's a, a uh, $10 billion industry, I think I heard. Yes. What's going on? What are your thoughts? I think there's two reasons. Is
0: One, we've come a long way since the kind of founder of modern self-help, Warner Earhart. Warner Earhart, with the EST program back in the 60s and 70s, created a very actionable program, and I mean, it was impactful. It really dug deep into people. And then they went through this process and they came out of it and they had really gotten an idea of where they were. And so they were, as Werner used to say, ride the horse you're on. Don't switch horses in the middle of the race. And I think where a lot of the personal growth industry has gone is that it's all about change to somebody new, be somebody different. A lot of these programs, they never really make you go back into who you are and really dig deep and find out the reasons, not what you fail at. There's a lot of focus on what you fail at, but going back into the reasons of why you're failing and really looking at that and then driving forward. I think because it's so monetized, anybody can jump into it. Everybody starts echoing each other and taking each other's ideas and kind of rebranding it and putting it out in a different way. So we've gone so far from the Buckminster Fuller days and the original Stephen Covey days and the Werner Earhart days to today, it's just there's not a whole lot of digging deep. It's a whole lot of switching horses in the middle of life's race. And then people wonder. They go from a horse they know to a horse they don't know, and then they don't get far, so they then they jump on another horse. They jump on another horse. People really have to dig deep, and it has to be actionable. I'm reading a book that tells you you're going to be great doesn't make you great. If there's not a map to that greatness, you're just being told you're great. The way that I usually put it is, is that, to kind of round this out, if you look at the, the personal growth industry right now, there's a whole lot of cheerleaders. There's a decent number of coaches, but there's not a lot of teammates. And so there's not a lot of people that will get in there and, and get in the ditches with you to help you change your life. There's a lot of people that will tell you how to do it, and there's a lot of people that will cheer you on while you try.
2: That's a great point. I agree with you. There should really be some type of a license maybe <laughs> to be a coach or to be in a personal development because a lot of people jump in. And I think a lot of programs do more damage than good. I probably think the, the most famous one you've probably heard of is The Secret, where you just visualize money coming down and sit on your couch and, Checks will come to your mailbox, and there's great things with affirmation visualization, but a lot of people just took that to the extreme, and I think they were probably hauled off to the funny farm when they're sitting on the couch <laughs> thinking they're wealthy and not doing anything and not having an action plan, and that just causes so much damage. It's amazing when you look out and you see a lot of these
0: programs that one of the things that we ask and undo, the, the book that I wrote, is are you picking the right goals You can have the best process on earth, but if you're not picking the right goals, why even have the process? A lot of people, they never even really dig into their goals, whether they're goals that they're going to want to say they've achieved. If it brings them somewhere five to 10 years down the road, they just kind of jump headlong into it. And like you said, you know, they repeat a bunch of mantras to themselves and tell themselves things are going to happen. And then after a year, they never really chose the right goals. They never went through a needs, wants, and means assessment Anything that you have to do, that you would do in your business, that you would do if your boss told you to do it, people don't do it in their own lives, but their own life is the biggest business they will ever run. And they don't go through these same processes when they look at how serious their life is. And sitting around and like you said, repeating mantras and waiting for cash to fall from the ceiling. Let me tell you, if that worked, I would be doing it every single day (laughs) instead of working hard.
2: That's a great point. Let me follow up on that in a question because I think a lot of people have goals, right? They've heard that before. It's probably the first personal development thing they hear. How do you know if your goal was picked up through osmosis or picked up through your friends? How do you know it's truly yours, that you're not just renting it but that you actually own it? This is where
0: we go back to the concept of the why's not the what's. And most people don't even know who they are. You know, most people, they have so many layers on them, so much baggage they're dragging. They have so many layers of defenses against the world around them, whether it's their their smile or their tick or the way that they talk to people or whatever it is, that all of a sudden they end up in their mid-30s to mid-40s and they have no idea who they are. And boom, midlife crisis happens. They try to figure it out. And so if you're going to determine what your goals are, you really got to determine like you just said where are the goals coming from are they coming from you are they coming from not only you today but your future self the person that you when you're 60 you want to be are they coming from the person you were when you were 8 and you were bullied or you had some type of problems or you were abused are your goals that person's goals because one of the things that people don't really understand is is that life when you have something happen to you during the day when you go to bed your hippocampus, which is in your brain, is where everything that happened during the day, it goes to the hippocampus and it categorizes for your unconscious mind. And then the next day when you wake up and you go about your life, this is why we don't burn ourselves on stoves. We learn it. The brain processes it. Whenever we see a stove, the conscious brain, as the unconscious brain, hey, what would happen if I touch that? And it kind of goes back through it. So a lot of people end up with all of these experiences that they're dragging with them. And you can find a lot of people that are really their 15-year-old self because they've never gotten over what happened when they were 15. And so unless you want to go to psychotherapy, that's not something you're going to get over. So one of the things that I try to drive people to do is instead make your focus on the person that you want to be and then work your way backwards. And everything goes not through, did I experienced this in the past? Is this something that happened in the past? How did it work out in the past? But instead, how can I make what's happening right now work towards the person that I want to be in five years, that I want to be in 10 years, and make that person your anchor point to work towards instead of working
2: from the past? You're bringing up one of my favorite topics is the brain. And (laughs) Dr. DiMaggio says we've learned more about the human brain the last 10 years and last 100 years combined, and that's Part of my research, too, is when I talk about influence, up to 95% of influence involves that subconscious trigger. The subconscious mind you brought up, some people call it the reptilian brain. I've heard monkey brain, caveman brain, amygdala, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and one thing you do bring up in your book is called brain wiring, which I was fascinated about. So why are our brains wired to fail, and how do we change that? Are we able to change that, or are we just stuck to be failures on our whole lives? So when
0: our great ancestors were hunting the planes, It was very important that the brain work the way that it works or else you would be out there and you would not have the knowledge of when they brought the saber-toothed tiger back and you smelled the saber-toothed tiger. And then you heard all the stories when you went out, you had that smell, you had that point of reference, you were working from the past, and it worked very, very well. When you get into modern day living, the way that the brain is wired for survival and to constantly ask itself and to draw assumptions about what's about to happen, it does that because we still have a brain that is tens of thousands of years old in terms of development. It's not suited for today's environment where every time that you've been treated this way, It doesn't lead to death, it leads to you not getting a promotion because you automatically draw an assumption about the way that that interaction is about to go. And so we really have to start rewiring the brain a little bit and saying, okay, what's happening to me right now except under extremely stressful and duressful situations that are life-threatening and so forth, in this relationship, in my business, whatever it may be, it's not going to kill me. So I don't need to look at this person as something that can physically harm me. I need to look at this person as something that can get me ahead. How can I talk to this person? How can I see them within you know, the context of where I want to be in five to ten years and work from there? Because your brain is not wired to do that. Your brain will draw assumptions based on smells, based on appearances, whatever it is. It will draw that assumption because that's how the brain survives. That's how the body survives and learns its lessons. So we have to recognize that and know everything that we walk into, we're dealing with a brain that wants to survive a violent encounter. And so once we know that, and we go, okay, this is the way that my brain's going to act. Now let me look at this for what it actually is, not what my brain thinks it will be. And once you realize that your brain's gonna make an assumption, and that you're probably going to act on that assumption, You've got to stop it, clear your mind a little bit, and then look at it in the context of where you're trying to go. And then
2: you can start to move forward a little bit. So the first step there is just being aware that your brain's wired differently than you think, yep. and right? And then changing things up. So as you look at the brain and learning skills, with this knowledge of how the brains work, how can we become more successful, more successful, faster? What do we need to do? What do we need to adjust? Well, the first thing is,
0: is, the first thing that I tell people, and if you're looking for something actionable. So the first thing is that I tell people, if you're looking for something actionable, it's to stop being right. Everything that we go into, don't be right. You always think you're right. People are always trying to prove themselves to be right. A lot of people, when I talk about echoing and communication, most communication, it, it's not communication. It's positioning. People are positioning themselves. If you look at where echoing came from, It comes from the business world, which is how do I position myself where this client thinks that I understand them so that I can get something out of this client. And when we start to apply that towards our personal relationships, we start to realize, wait a minute, all I'm doing is positioning myself constantly to prove that I'm right or to get what I want. So instead, we have to pull back a little bit and say, I'm going to go into this. I'm I'm going to stop being right. I'm going to start getting involved in what this interaction is. What is actually being said? Where do I want this to go? Can I form a consensus with the person that I'm talking to where we can both work to get there together? It's one of the things that we talk about over at the website at passless.net is you stop being right, start getting involved in the interaction, really listening to the person, looking for the consensus, looking for the things that you both agree on, and then using those things to move forward. If people would just stop being right and actually get involved in the interactions that they're having and then looking at it for what it is, they would be so much better off because they would stop the brain from making assumptions about the way things are going to go. Or they would stop all this training that they have that's been guided towards positioning them for success and instead they actually get involved and start forming that consensus where both people are successful.
2: Well, I guess there's some truth to the saying, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? <laughs> right? You
0: can't do both.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the same is not only in relationships, but you have to do that with your brain, too. And the brain's always searching for rationalizations, why we do things, and justifying and rationalizing, so I can see that point. You know, I spent that, 20 years
0: teaching martial art around the world. I have taught thousands of people in Europe and the U.S. and Canada and all over the place. I've taught everybody from soccer moms to special forces units, and the brain is capable of incredible things under stress. And once you get people trained on how to operate under stress, it's amazing what they can do. And so when, when we saw that, I said, you know, there's got to be a way to get people where they can start to train themselves to act this way, but not under stress and be able to make good decisions. And part of it was was to stop making assumptions about the way things are going to go and start really getting, experiencing what you're involved in.
2: That's a good point. So that's the world of self-persuasion. But do tell us, since this is a show on influence, (laughs) when someone's talking, communicating with someone, and trying to influence them, what things have you seen could be helpful to them in the persuasion communication process? Well, I believe it was Dr.
0: Morabian that did the big study, and some people say it's been disproven, but in my research over...
2: I still like it. It's it's pretty close.
0: It's it's about as close as it can get. Yeah. And when I think about communication, I think about communication under extremely stressful situations and what actually works. And looking at how verbal and nonverbal and then that language works, mastering your own ability to communicate before you ever try to master somebody, being able to control your grunts and (laughs) your words and your movements and being able to control your own self to where you might think what they're saying is absolute nonsense. But if they can't read it off of you, they're not going to get defensive. You're going to be able to communicate, and you're going to be able to find consensus and move forward. And so, you know, mastering yourself first, you know, your own verbal and nonverbal communication is one of the biggest things that people have to do. And I always tell people, I tell my students this in martial art. I tell cops this all the time. Go to the places where you know you're going to get irritated, like McDonald's. (laughs) <laughs> and practice your communication. See how the people react to you when you move different ways and act different ways. Make it a game. And see how much you are actually throwing off to them. And master your own communication. Once you've done that, you've gotten more than 50% of the way there because now 50% of a 100% interaction, the other 50% is the other person. You've disarmed them from seeing things that their unconscious brain is going to see and movements, draw assumptions about you. And now you can begin to communicate with them, ask them questions, and be able to get the information that you need for the both of you to move forward together.
2: What is the one thing we've missed? If you want to share one thing with our listeners to be more successful, to be more influential, what is the one thing that you feel like you need to share to take them to the next level?
0: The one thing that I would encourage people is to, one of the things that we do in Undo, um, which sounds crazy, but in Undo, Whenever we look at goals, whenever we look at the things that we want to accomplish, one of the things that people rarely do is they don't sit down and really take stock. Most goals that people want to achieve in their career, in their personal lives, in their hobbies, in sports, whatever it is, it's right there. They can probably achieve it if they know the why. So if you say, I want to be president, well, that's a what. If you say, I want to be involved in my community and be a community leader. Well, now we're talking about maybe the city council, or maybe you're going to go down to the PTA and become the president. If you start looking at the who's and what's, the where's, the why's, the needs and means and wants, if you really take stock like we do in the book, you'll find out that 90% of the things that people want to achieve, they have the capability to achieve them. And if they don't, they can recognize it and not waste their time on the wrong goals. So when I talk about, the right process, wrong goal is that if people are naming what's and not why's, they're not going to get their goals because most of the time they're going to shoot high and they're going to hit low or they're going to aim high and they're going to hit low. That You really have to look at taking stock where you're at, asking yourself the questions, really looking at the why of your goal and not the what, and then you'll start to move in the direction, Whether it, like I said, whether it's work or personal relationships or even if you want to get in shape. Anything like that, if you really take stock of what you have and sit down and list it all out, you'll find out you're a whole lot closer than you think you are, or you're a lot further away than you thought you were, and it might be a goal to back off of and instead spend that time on something that's much more meaningful in your life or much more attainable.
2: Well said. Great information. Really appreciate you being here. Where can our listeners go for your books on Do or Passless? Where's the best plot to go to find out more about you and what you do?
0: Well, Kurt, A, I really appreciate you having me on. It's great. B, you have some of the best sound quality on Skype I have ever heard. Oh, good. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. They can go by passless.net. That's P-A-S-T-L-E-S-S dot net. Over there, it's got the blog, the blog updates weekly. It's got links to undo. They can go to Amazon and just type in undo, and it will pop up. I think it's the third thing for undo that pops up. It's got great reviews, and you also get a workbook with the book. You read this book, but then you have a 40-page workbook that comes with it that you actually fill out as you work through the book. And then on social media, everything I have is I am Matt Powell. So if it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's all I am Matt Powell.
2: Perfect. Again, thanks for being here. Listeners, make sure you took great notes, implement it, the self-persuasion, the mindset, the personal development. That's the biggest key to your success and your ability to influence. Again, Matt, thanks for being here and take care. Thanks, Kurt.
1: Well, Kurt, that was a pretty interesting interview with Matt. I mean, he's really gone deep into how the human brain works. And I, I especially enjoyed when he was talking about why we're wired to fail.
2: Yeah, that's interesting as he gets into that and then how our brains work and our subconscious minds and how we sabotage ourselves sometimes. It's uh, always a good lesson to learn. I mean, we hear these things and we talk about self-persuasion, improving ourselves. A lot of times we just got to go back to some of these basic things as far as how our brain works, how we think, how we're wired, and it just makes success that much easier. I think we should have been born with a owner's manual sometime on how our brain works, but I think a lot of people just don't understand that.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true, and we go around and we treat people the way that we think logic demands it, but that's just not the world that we live in. So, understanding that emotional wiring of the brain is really key. That was a great interview with Matt.
2: It was, I agree. Hopefully, everyone took some great notes and they can apply it and use it, get you back on track with self persuasion, be more motivated, and have more success.
1: That's great, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence.
2: Take care. Persuade the power.